Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is John Paul, and I'm an elder at uh, Christ Church in San Francisco. Um, I've had the pleasure of getting to know uh, your pastor, John, and his family while they were attending Christ Church. I've also had the pleasure of watching uh, the planting and launch of the porch, um, and also the, the privilege of hearing John preach many times for us at Christ Church. Um, so it is uh, my pleasure, and I'm very thankful that John has invited me um, and given me the opportunity to preach for you this morning. Um, by way of disclaimer, um, you should know that this is my second time ever preaching. Um, it's obvious to me that July is vacation month for professional pastors because John uh, must have worked through quite a list to arrive at me to preach for you this morning. Uh, with that being said, I, I trust that God uh, will use his word and the power of his Holy Spirit to, to work through my limitations this morning uh, and to speak to you and to me uh, through his message and, and his word. Uh, the first time that I did preach uh, at Christ Church, uh, the passage was assigned to me based on the series that we were actually going through at Christ Church. Um, and so I didn't have any choice in the matter. Um, this time, John told me that I could preach on anything that I wanted. Um, and certainly that seemed very generous and freeing at the time that the offer was made. Uh, but in hindsight, as I went through preparing, uh, it proved pretty challenging to, to think about and, and decide on what passage to preach on. Um, ultimately, though, I feel like God put on my heart a passage that has been really important to me during my Christian walk, um, and I'm excited to share it with you uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you would turn with me to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, and we will start with verse 1 and uh, read through verse 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please join me in prayer uh, before we dive in. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, and you have given us your Holy Spirit uh, to help us know you and to understand your word. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is that your Holy Spirit would uh, guide my words, that your Holy Spirit would be at work uh, in the hearts of everyone hearing your word, and that you would work um, the message that you would deliver this morning to each one of us. Thank you uh, that you do work through our limitations um, and that you do uh, grant us your truth and your word. Please bless our time this morning in your name. Amen. Um, so this passage is made up of two uh, distinct sections, and joining those two sections together 
are two of the greatest, in my mind, greatest, most hope-inspiring, powerful, and transformative words in the Bible. At the beginning of verse 4, it says, but God. And those two words are the fulcrum on which this passage turns. Uh, the first section is, is very much an accurate and yet stark description of the human condition apart from God. And the second piece after that, those two beautiful words, but God, is a description of God's love, mercy, and grace uh, that is beyond all words, and it reunites us to him. And so the title of my message this morning is God's Great Grace. And we will look at the passage in those two sections. The first piece of, of the message will be the, 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 the reflection on what it is before but God. And the second piece will be um, a reflection on what comes after those two words. And finally, we will close by exploring the implications for our own lives of the hope and power of those two words. So let's first look at the before section, uh, our life apart from God. And so we'll read verses one through three again, just to remind us of the nature of the human condition apart from God. And again, the language here to me is, is very stark and actually quite distressing. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so we see in verse 1 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, There was no life in us. There was no vitality, no fulfillment, no ultimate purpose. Our lives were an exercise in futility. Um, and, and this is, uh, represents a passive loss of meaning. We had no meaning in our lives, and we were passive in the death of that truth. Verse 2 tells us that we were followers of Satan at work in the sons of disobedience. In, in effect, we were actively opposed to the will and work of God and guided in our hearts by Satan. So not only were we dead and passively missing God's purpose, but we were actively living a life that was opposed to God and his purpose. And then verse 3 tells us that we lived in the passions of the flesh and carried out the desires of the body uh, as children of wrath. And so in effect, we were slaves to sin. Our lives had no freedom in them. We had no choice in our opposition and in our lives as in, in, in opposition to God. Now, the temptation for me uh, is to look at this description and say, ah, that, that, that's hyperbole, that, that's, that's a little exaggerated, and certainly that isn't true of me. Um, and as I was reflecting on the stark nature of this description, I thought of um, really two historical stories that I think are familiar to a lot of us um, that, that represent the spectrum on which we can see people's lives and assess them versus, uh, verses one through three. And the first story, um, I thought of was, um, the story of the author of the song Amazing Grace. Um, certainly a powerful song that many of us know, um, and, and apropos for this passage. And it was written by a man named John Newton. Um, and if you look at the life of John Newton, uh, his mother died when he was seven years old. Um, and then he progressed, uh, along, uh, what we would consider the wrong path. 
Um, he lived a life of excess, of greed, of debauchery. Um, he deserted the Navy. He actually became the captain of a slaving ship. Uh, he, he admits to in this historical record of him mistreating his slaves. And so he looks like everything that verses 1 through 3 described. He was an evil man who engaged in evil acts, um, and he lived in direct opposition to what we think God would want. And so the lyrics of Amazing Grace make sense for someone like him. And as we read the Bible, we see people like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who was actively oppressing uh, his fellow Israelites as he collected taxes for the Roman Empire. That makes sense to us. He was living a life uh, of, of obvious sin. Uh, that makes sense to us as we read about the prostitute who washed Jesus' feet uh, with perfume. She was someone, again, who was living in open and obvious sin. And so these are people who, were, who personally were well aware of their sin, and the world as well was well aware of their sin. And so that can typically be who we think of when we think of verses 1 through 3. But the second story uh, that we're going to reflect on reminds us of the other end of the spectrum, because the second story is the story of the author of the book of Ephesians, the book we're reading, uh, the Apostle Paul. In, in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 9, Paul describes himself um, he was the, the absolute picture of an upright person in his time. He checked every box of a successful, productive, righteous life as measured by the society he lived in. He tells us he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. And as to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. And yet he tells us, that verse 1 through 3 is true of him. He tells us that he counts his entire life as loss, as trash, and he recognizes that he was dead in his sin. Now, he is the equivalent in our age of someone who comes from the right family, who went to all the right schools, who has the right job, um, who has a good marriage and a perfect family and contributes to society by working at the local soup kitchen, etc., etc. But they're finding their fulfillment and righteousness in that, in their circumstances and in their actions. And what Paul realizes in that is that in his self-righteousness and pride, he was living in direct opposition to God and actually doing the work of Satan. He was actively oppressing the very church of God because of where he was finding his righteousness. He had no joy and no fulfillment and no hope. He was as dead, as misled, as actively opposed to God as anyone who was living in blatant sin. And that is a good way for us to understand the spectrum of what it is to be apart from God. And I don't know where you are on that spectrum, uh, but certainly the truth is probably that we're all somewhere along it, and we're tempted not to recognize the depth of our need of God's grace. And so I think it's important to meditate on those first three verses to understand that that is the reality and the truth of who all of us are apart from God, regardless of our life and our actions. And the more that we can understand and grapple with and appreciate the truth and the reality of who we are apart from God, the more powerful and meaningful those two words, but God, become.
And so let's move on to verses 4 through 8, um, and reread those as we launch into the second half uh, of the passage. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not by your own doing, it is a gift of God. And so we see in verses 4 through 8 that God reverses by his great grace, he reverses all that is true of us in verses 1 through 3. He makes us alive again. Even while we're still dead in our sins, he made us alive in Christ. We have been saved from slavery to sin. We have been set free from the dominion of Satan. And we have been transformed from being servants of Satan and being guided by him to having the Holy Spirit of the living God come and live inside of us and now being guided by and having our hearts transformed by the very Spirit of God. The word tells us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Paul literally says there are not words in human language to describe and measure the riches of the grace that have been given to us. And so what does it mean to be alive again? Why? What is God's purpose in his great grace? Well, in that, we, we, we know what God's purpose is because he tells us, again, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, he says, In him we have redemption, salvation, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And, and why did he do that? Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and on earth. And that brings us full circle to Genesis, uh, to the beginning of God's word, in which he tells us that we were created in his image to be an intimate, deep, and perfect relationship with him. But sin broke that relationship and led to the reality of verses 1 through 3. And so apart from God, because of sin, we are not living as we were created to be. We're not being who we were created to be. And God in his great grace is seeking to restore us, to reunite us to him, to live the way we were created to live. And God longs for each of us to be restored to him. And he paid the ultimate price so that by his grace, we can come back into relationship with him. And so what is the practical application of this truth in our lives today? Well, I believe there's both um, an, an introspective application as we analyze our lives and also uh, an external application as we look at the world around us. 
So first, uh, from an introspective perspective, where are you today? And this becomes very personal. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and have not put your faith in Jesus. Uh, maybe you have not necessarily heard um, or accepted the grace, great grace that is available through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you are living that life apart from God and seeking to make sense of your existence and where true meaning and fulfillment comes from. Um, and it is no mistake that you're here this morning uh, hearing the word of God, because know this, God longs to be reunited with you. He longs to be in relationship with you and to restore you to what you were created to be, which is in relationship with him. And it doesn't matter where you're at this morning, what you've done in your life, because God's grace is just that, grace. It is unmerited favor, acceptance, forgiveness, and salvation. And he has his arms wide open this morning, wanting to welcome you back into relationship with him. Now, maybe you're a believer this morning, uh, but you need to be reminded of the riches and depths of God's great grace. Maybe you have sin that continues to weigh you down with condemnation and guilt, uh, and, and that is robbing you of the power and joy that God has for you. And so this morning, maybe you're called to meditate on and accept God's mercy, love, and redemptive, sanctifying power. Um, that is not to excuse sin in our lives. We all have it, and we are to repent and confess it. But God promises that his grace is sufficient and that he will work through us to transform us and to sanctify us. And so confess and repent this morning, but know that God forgives, that there is no guilt, there is no condemnation, and he longs to restore you to himself and set you free from that sin in your life. Now, maybe uh, you're on a different end of the spectrum and, and you are a believer this morning, uh, but you have continued to rely for your righteousness on things that are apart from God. Um, your good works and your upright life have been the basis of your righteousness, and there is a pride in that. And maybe you haven't realized that the full reality of life apart from God and the pride of self-righteousness have minimized uh, the great grace and reality of your need for God's salvation and transforming power and sanctifying power in your life. And so that too requires us to repent um, and confess, uh, because if we rely on that self-righteousness, we will rob ourselves of the full power and restored life that God intends for us in reliance on him. And then finally, away from introspection uh, and looking outwards, um, I believe that there is a very specific application of this passage for how we see the world around us. Um, we live in a highly polarized time, uh, and that's been made all the more so by the current circumstances of the pandemic uh, and the political moment that we live in. And the temptation during this time, whether it's uh, on social media or in conversations with family and with friends or with strangers, um, can be to dehumanize those that we disagree with, to 
to harbor anger and resentment and disdain uh, for them. But as Christians, we know that we all had a life apart from God, and we all were dead and lost in our sin. And so just as God views all people as his dearly loved children made in his image, for us there can be no other as Christians. There are only broken image bearers of God in need of him. And so we, just like God, are to have God's heart and to view uh, those that we may disagree with, with grace and mercy and love. And that is how we are to engage with them. That doesn't mean we compromise the truth, but it means that we don't react with anger and disdain and condescension, but we engage with love and with mercy and with grace. Um, pointing towards God and the transformative power that he brings. Now, I love this passage, and I preached on this passage because, as I said, it's been meaningful in my life and because it's been very true of my lived experience. And so, since C.S. Lewis says everything better than I can, I wanted to close uh, with a quote from him. C.S. Lewis said, uh, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And as I have lived life and seen the world around me, the reality of the brokenness of the world has been all too apparent to me. And as I've looked at my own life apart from God, the reality of that brokenness in my life has been only too real to me. And as I've experienced God's forgiveness and his love and his mercy and his grace, I have yet to plumb the depths of that, and that is the ongoing transformative journey of my life. But that has been a reality, and that has transformed the way that I see everything else about the world. And so by God's great grace, he has opened our eyes to see him and to see the truth of the world and the truth of who we were created to be. And so my message this morning is let's live in that reality. Let's live in the reality that God created us to be in relationship with him and that apart from him, we are dead. But God sent his only son to die for us. And by his great grace and his great mercy and his great love, we have the ability to be reunited in relationship with him. Uh, this morning, if you have not, and, uh, and in an ongoing way, if you have. And so please join me in, uh, in praying as we uh, conclude the message this morning. Father God, we, we thank you. We thank you um, that you love us that you created us to be in relationship with you, and that the entire narrative of human history is your pursuit of us since the brokenness of sin separated us. And we thank you that culminated in you sending your son to die for us, to pay the price for our sin, to save us and set us free from our slavery to sin, and to make us alive again so that we can be seated in the heavenly places with you for eternity one day. Lord, we thank you that that is the reality 
of the world that we live in. And we pray that you would open our eyes this morning to all the the more appreciate the truth of that. Uh, We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Church, I I thank you for, again, for the opportunity to preach to you this morning. And I pray that you would have a blessed week uh, as we conclude the service today. Thanks very much. And thank you, John.